This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Kendall Frazier, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCBA's Kendall Frazier next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. With crop prices falling, farm income plummeting, and Mother Nature wrecking havoc, the private sector crop insurance infrastructure is more important today than ever. Providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With more than 30 years spent working in the cattle industry, Kendall Frazier was named Chief Executive Officer of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Frazier says the fall elections and partisan congressional battles make for challenging times for commodity organizations and the farmers and ranchers they represent on Capitol Hill. Frazier says there's but one solution. Well, Jeff, it takes a lot of shoe lever. You've got to visit the congressional offices. You've got to have what we would call boots on the ground. You've got to spend a lot of time educating and dialoguing and talking to the various members of the congressional staff and talking to them about, in our case, our specific industry, which is the beef industry, in a more general sense, the importance of American agriculture to the United States economy. You know, cattle and beef are grown in every state in the Union, and it's the number one industry if you look at dollar sales uh, of American agriculture. So it's a significant industry that is uh, plays a large role in the social and economic fabric of rural communities throughout the United States. What are the biggest issues that you face? Well, right now there's three or four issues that are very important to us that we're working on. In a broad sense, one of those would be protection of private property rights. Cattle own and control more land than any other industry in the United States, and property rights are very important to our members of our association One of the things that we've been involved in with a lot of other land use organizations and general farm organizations is uh, the proposal by EPA to increase regulations through the the waters of the United States uh, rule. Uh, We think the definitions of that are so broad and it's a large land grab by EPA, so we have fought back against that vigorously and we will continue to do that. So property rights is a high priority of the organization. Trade is another high priority of of, uh, the beef cattle industry. We now export somewhere between 10 to 12% of our production overseas, and that has a large economic influence in cattle production. Uh, We're very supportive of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We think that uh, this trade deal needs to be passed by Congress. It will really help. Uh, the beef industry in one of our largest markets, and that is Japan. Right now, we're at a distinct competitive disadvantage to Australia. Under TPP, the tariffs will be reduced in Japan for U.S. beef, 
and uh, we'll get back to a more level playing field. So that's a, another high priority for the association. And then another high priority for our organization is to make sure that consumers understand and trust how beef is produced in the United States and that this new millennial generation that's coming on in this country understand the importance of beef's role in their diets. And if we can do that, uh, then we believe there'll be a, a bright future for the next generation of cattlemen and women who are entering our business. If we're talking about trade, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, what's specific about that part of the world that heightens your attention to see this trade deal done? Well, what we've got around the world is, and a lot of these countries that this partnership and this trade agreement impacts, is you have economies that are growing, you have incomes that are rising, and you have a desire to include protein in the diet. And therefore, having access to these markets and a level playing field with other competitors around the world, because there are a lot of other countries that produce beef, is very important to us. In Japan specifically, Japan is a very important market for us. It's one of our top markets for U.S. beef exports. And we're at a distinct disadvantage today from a tariff standpoint if this trade agreement is implemented, it will lower the tariff on U.S. beef coming into Japan and give us a more level playing field with Australia. And right now, Australia, uh, they have their own trade agreement with Japan, and they're at a distinct advantage, and they're taking market share away from us. Kendall, if we look at the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it said that those countries represent 40% of the gross domestic product of the world. What about beef? 60% of the U.S. beef exports are, would be contained in that trade agreement. It's a big deal, and it's a big deal to us in the U.S. beef industry. We, we believe that the future is very bright for exports around the world, again, because of increasing incomes, uh, desire for additional pro- protein and diets. So it is a major step forward for our industry. We just need Congress to get this approved. What happens if we say no? I mean, this is a yes or no decision. What happens if we say no and don't participate? I think that will send a very chilling signal to countries around the world and uh, will not be positive at all. Uh, you know, our government has spent a lot of time with these other countries that are involved in this agreement you know, I just think that there will be major negative ramifications in the world economy if this trade agreement is not approved. There is talk that the administration might concentrate more effort toward the Supreme Court nominee as opposed to putting effort behind the TPP simply because some of the leading candidates oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Well, we've not seen an indication that they're going to do that. Uh, You know, we're in communication with the administration. Obviously, we're making a lot of congressional visits and talking to the various congressional offices. And, yes, they're aware of some of the conversation that's going on, the presidential campaign. But uh, we believe the administration believes this is a top priority and uh, that they'll continue to try to move it forward. Do you see a timing for a push? Well, we're making congressional visits right now. The timing will be up to the congressional leadership uh, when they want to do that. Uh, so we don't know, but we're in a mood right now, a, a, a mode right now, to push this forward. We're doing a lot of education on Capitol Hill, and uh, we've just got 
to get this thing voted on at some point so we can move forward. One of the issues that you mentioned was property rights, and under the umbrella of regulation, we do find the waters of the U.S. rule from the EPA right now being held up by a court decision in Ohio. How long do you see this issue playing out, and does the election play a role in how enforcement comes down with WOTUS? Well, the election, will, I'm sure, will be some kind of a factor, but right now our focus is on the court system. We, along with some other land use organizations and general farm organization, you know, American Farm Bureau Federation is involved in this as a partner, are going to continue to push and go down the legal path to keep this from being implemented. We think this is a major land grab by the Environmental Protection Agency. It's a major erosion of property rights. Private property rights to landowners, as you well know, Jeff, is something that's very important. So we're going to do everything we can to keep this rule from going into effect. If you listen and have watched the hearings where Administrator McCarthy has been testifying before members of Congress, the statements again and again are that it was never intended to affect agriculture or land use. Yet commodity organizations like your own stand firmly against it. I guess the question would be then, why was it ever put forward, number one? And number two, some of the language in the rule is so vague that the problem is 15, 20, 30 years down the road, this obviously will get tied up in courts. There will be legal challenges. There will be legal disputes about it. It will be interpreted differently by courts. So once you lay down the marker, uh, you have a hard time uh, staying true to that over time. And I think you can look at past government experiences in this area where that's happened. So that's our concern about it. And uh, if EPA really feels like it, um, it's not a land grab, then why did they ever put it forward? That would be our question. Can you fix this rule? We think you need to start over. We think EPA needs to kill the rule, ditch the rule. It's a common term that's been used in agriculture, and just withdraw it. We don't think that needs to be done. Clearly, this was not the intent of the Clean Water Act to do something like that. Environmental Protection Agency has new regulations, perhaps, with regard to ozone. And you have cattlemen that need legal burns from time to time to manage their property. Is this an area that you think you'll be able to work with the administration over, or is this another roadblock that can lead to conflict? Well, we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, it's on our radar screen. It's important to us. There are parts of the country where it's very important that the grasslands and prairie are burned to keep out invasive species. And it's something that has occurred for thousands of years in this country. And it's important to maintain the viability of a lot of the grasslands. So prohibiting the ability to burn pastures in some areas of the country would not be good and it would not be good for the environment. So that's a major challenge to make sure that EPA understands that and other people understand that. The prairies have always burned. They burned before man uh, uh, settled uh, on the prairie, and it's, uh, it's a really key environmental management tool for cattlemen. Cattlemen's Beef Association and, and associated groups have worked hard for animal husbandry to communicate the ways of animal husbandry with the, the non-farm and ranch public, yet there is continued challenge toward antibiotic use in livestock production. Is this uh, an area that can lead to the, the, the detriment 
of herd health, or is the industry working in the right direction? Well, Jeff, we need to be very careful about how we evaluate technology use in modern American agriculture and more specifically livestock production uh, because we do not want to jeopardize herd health. Now, if there's a problem, we need to look at it. We need to look at the science behind that. But to start taking away technology from American agriculture based on non-science is... uh, uh, will only add cost long-term and also potentially jeopardize our herd health. So it's something we need to be very, very careful about and very thoughtful about. We've not reauthorized the Endangered Species Act in 25 years. Why does this need to be done? And from the eyes of cattlemen, how does it need to be done? Well, what happens is that... Um, we have rampant abuse of the act. Uh, some groups go to court. Uh, they use t- legal tactics. Uh, it overruns private property rights. It's something that needs to be looked at. Uh, it's been a problem for landowners. And uh, instead of the courts fighting this out, uh, we need to fix the act long term so we have some some rational uh you know, rational acts and rational decisions that are made that don't negatively impact uh, landowners. Some have suggested there's been a tremendous push to get an animal on the list, but not much work after that to try to preserve the species. You know, I'm not sure I can be a judge of that. Uh, we've heard cases of that happening. Uh, we do have an effort going on in certain parts of the West now in the greater sage grass through some rules and planning uh, efforts uh, and management efforts. Uh, it's kind of a more cooperative effort so, uh, that we think has some potential. You know, it's just something we have to be very, very careful about because it really impacts private property rights and the ability of ranchers to use their land. You know, it's one thing to have an animal uh, or species on a list to try to preserve it. It's another if you choose a species that would allow allow you to control a, a large swath of land, per se, if the monarch butterfly made it on the endangered species list. Well, that's a great point. You know, if that got on there... Obviously, uh, that would have the potential to to impact a lot of landowners throughout the United States and could have a really negative impact. So it's something we've got to really watch very closely, and that's why we believe the Endangered Species Act needs to be reformed. In Washington, uh, when Congress comes back to work, uh, all eyes will be on the Senate to see if there can be a compromise with regard to labeling uh, foods that might have ingredients from genetically enhanced crops. And it is in that discussion that Senator Heitkamp has discussed perhaps a voluntary cool program. Uh, how do the cattlemen feel about a voluntary program, especially now that the Congress did follow through and eliminate the mandatory cool law? Well, the Canadians and Mexicans who took the uh, uh, country of origin labeling case to the World Trade Organization and won the decision, we were just about ready to have some massive retaliation put on U.S. industries and products, basically have said that uh, a voluntary program will not work, that they will continue to fight that, and they would do that through the WTO. So 
We just don't think that a voluntary program through the government would work at all. Now, there are some programs out there that are being done through private enterprise, and if you're a cattleman and you have some kind of a branded product program and you want to use some kind of a label or you want to use some kind of your own label, not through the government, then you're sure more than welcome to do that. But we just don't think a voluntary program through the U.S. government is something that the Mexicans and Canadians are going to accept. And we'll be back where we started again with mandatory cool. Cattlemen in Brazil uh, have a hope that they'll have the opportunity to ship their product into the U.S. even in the first half yet of 2016. What are cattlemen concerns about imports from the Southern Hemisphere? Well, our concern is whether USDA has really done the due diligence to make sure that that product comes in and does not carry foot and mouth disease. Foot and mouth disease introduced in the U.S. cattle population would be a devastating blow to the U.S. cattle industry. We have met with USDA. We've expressed our concerns to USDA. We want to make sure that they have followed the right protocols and processes to assure that any product coming in from Brazil or Argentina is foot and mouth disease free. This is something that's extremely important to cattlemen throughout the U.S. Protecting the U.S. cattle population and herd health is extremely important. Are there particular areas that your precaution is the highest? Well, it would be just any product coming out of Brazil. Uh, We want to make sure that USDA has done the due diligence. They've gone through the right process to certify the plants, and we don't believe that that's happened to date. So... We're going to continue to push back against that until we have confidence that that's happened. Agriculture is a cyclical business, and we have seen commodity prices be very volatile with regard to cattle prices, certainly volatility. And I understand the cattlemen are working with the CME to address those volatility issues. We are. We've got a working group that is working on this within NCBA. We've got concern about the volatility and how the cattle futures markets are operating. We have to have trust and confidence in these cattle futures markets. They're a very important risk management tool for cattlemen. They're very important for capital to support cattlemen. It's something that we started to see last fall, tremendous volatility in the cattle futures markets. There were a lot of questions asked by cattlemen, so we've got a working group that's looking at this and trying to work with CME and trying to find solutions. Can you give examples of how this volatility has affected your industry and, and why your membership feels like this, this needs to be addressed? What we saw last fall were tremendous swings in the market, and, and those swings in the market were something that we had not seen for many, many years. And there was so much volatility in the market that cattlemen were having a hard time using the futures markets to manage risk, and we, we, we just have some real concerns about some things like uh, delay between the trading actions, uh, greater enforcement against market spoofing, uh, monitoring reporting of market misuse, and making sure that uh, the appropriate regulatory authorities are overseeing what's going on at the uh, CME. Again, it's an important risk management tool that cattlemen need in order to to manage risk. Kendall Fraser, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and sir, you have an open forum. 
Well, I would just like to, uh, uh, you know, American agriculture is a real strength of our U.S. economy. Uh, the beef industry is an extremely important part of that. Uh, American agriculture is very vibrant. Now, we have some challenges today. The strength of the dollar is hurting commodity exports around the world. But uh, if you look at the long term, uh, American agriculture is the backbone of so many rural communities from a social and economic standpoint. It's such a, a factor in our trade that we do around the world. The beef industry is an important part of that. So despite some of the challenges we have right now, some of the issues we work on, I think the long-term future is still very bright for American agriculture and the beef industry. Our thanks to Kendall Frazier, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.